Well, Happy New Year, it's Fairhaven. I don't know, how long can you say that as you get into the new year? I'm going to do it all of January, so just, uh, just be aware. I don't know if I saw you last week or not, so if I didn't, Happy New Year uh, to you. Glad to have you with us here in all of our uh, campuses. I want to say hello to Springboro, Happy New Year to you. Beaver Creek, Happy New Year. Northmont, Classics, Happy New Year to you and all of you that are right here in Centerville. It's great to have you here. If you are a guest with us, you have been greeted, and, and we're serious. We're so honored that you'd find your way here, and we'd love to get connected with you uh, as you find your way around our different campuses. For those of you that are online, thank you for joining us, whether you're in the Dayton area or maybe somewhere in the country. I have two friends, three friends that are uh, in Colorado skiing, and uh, I don't know if they're following along or not, but uh, hello to you guys if you're there, and I hope you have a great time. Break a leg, um, I would say, for you. Um, (laughs) Hey, before we jump in, we're in a series called Turn the Page, because we're talking about the new year as we turn the page, uh, and what would that look like for us in our spiritual life as we're making uh, some spiritual resolutions, not resolutions like losing weight or, you know, or doing better in this area or relationship, whatever it might be. Um, But I want to just mention two things to us really quickly. The first is if you're, uh, if Fairhaven Church is home for you, in the month of December, we ask you to help us financially uh, to finish the year really really well. And I got to tell you, Fairhaven, I just want to say thank you. Well done. We finished the year better than we actually imagined. Um, And as a result of that, we're able to do something that we were planning to do in uh, 2024 um, early this year. And in fact, we did it this last week. We sent $150,000 to the network of churches that we're a part of because they're trying to build a conference center in order to train pastors and global staff all over the world and to help bring people in uh, to just encourage uh, you know, people in, in ministry all over the country, actually. We have 2,200 some churches, and we were able to send them $150,000, which we had planned to do in 2024, but we were able to do it right away because of your generosity. So Fairhaven, way to go. Thank you for doing that. Thank, yeah, big round of applause. Thank you, thank you for uh, trusting us enough in that. Secondly, I want you to know that because of Martin Luther King Day, it's tomorrow, happy Martin Luther King Day to you, all of our offices will be closed in all of our campuses as we want to celebrate that as a church family. And so I hope you'll uh, think through uh, what that means and take a look at some of the things that Martin Luther King did. Amazing, amazing man. Uh, Every year around this time, I read some stuff that just really inspire me uh, because of who he was in his life and faith. And so just two things. Uh, Secondly, uh, thirdly, I want to just ask you to get your Bibles with me, if you will, or your devices and power them up. We're in Ruth. I asked you to mark your Bibles last week um, with that little thingy. I don't know what that's called. Um, Or if you have a device, you can just bookmark it. Ruth chapter 2 is a small little book. It's a story about uh, this woman named Ruth and her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law. I remember when I was getting married, just about to get married, um, all of my friends were talking to me about marriage, and all the guys that had been married for a little while were, you know, talking to me about the, the you know, some of the challenges and some of the things that you need to work through, and and they would bring things up like mother-in-laws. And I don't know if you've heard things like that. Like, for example, I've heard things like, behind every successful man stands a devoted wife and a surprised mother-in-law. Or uh, two guys talking, maybe you've heard this, two guys talking, and one, one guy says, my mother-in-law is an angel. And the other guy says, well, you're lucky. You're a lucky fellow. Mine's still alive. <laughs> Oof. As one guy says, we're having tea with my mother-in-law the other day, and just out of the blue, she says, I've decided that I want to be cremated. And so he says, grab your coat, let's go. 
That is just not right right there. Uh, if you're a mother-in-law, we love you. In fact, my mother-in-law is awesome. I don't know what people are talking about. Uh, the truth of the matter is, most of the time, help me out here, ladies, most of the time, it's the man's mom that's the problem. Am I right, ladies? Help me out here, ladies. I'm looking around. Um, okay, maybe it's not the man's. I don't know. Um, but we're glad you're here, moms, and I want to say hello to my mother-in-law who watches every week, who really, I call her mom, and she's taken me in um, as a son. She really treats me as a son, and I'm very, very grateful for her. And so mother-in-laws have a huge, huge influence. And in this story, that's the same, uh, that's true for this story. Naomi, being the mother-in-law, has huge influence on this woman named Ruth, and Ruth influencing her life as well. And so I want to take a look at this with you, um, because what we're learning here is that as we begin a new year and we turn the page of a new year, it might be that some of you are thinking about a resolution, but I'm going to challenge all of us to think about spiritual resolution in our life. I started last week by mentioning that it might be encouraging for us to know that God actually make a res- makes a resolution to us. And here's what that resolution looks like because of what we learned through the book of Ruth, that God is resolved to create something amazing, something great from our ordinary lives. He wants to do something in your life and in my life. I don't know what 2023 was like. It could have been your best year in the last 10. But I'm here to tell you that next year, this year, 2024, could be a great year as well because that's what God wants to do. He's resolved to do that. God makes a resolution to us that he desires as we pursue him, follow him, follow in obedience, that he wants to do great things in our everyday, ordinary life. 2023 may have been a really tough year for you, and so as you're looking into the next year, like, boy, I don't know, I'm going to you know, walk on eggshells. I'm here to tell you and encourage you that God has resolved. He's resolved in your life uh, to do something great from your everyday, ordinary life. Last week, we were in Ruth chapter 1, and the takeaway for us, as Ruth follows her mother-in-law, Naomi, all the way back to Bethlehem, we asked the question, what does loyalty to God look like in your life? Because the truth is, it wasn't so much that Ruth was committed to her mother-in-law, although that's true. There was something deeper going on there that Ruth was actually committed to a God that she had invited into her life. And so she followed um, God back to Bethlehem because she wanted to worship God and get out of a place that didn't worship God. And so even though she loved her mother-in-law and wanted to honor her, more than that, she wanted God to do big things in her life. And so... The takeaway for us is to ask the question, what does loyalty to God look like for you? And in fact, what a great place to start as we think about resolutions, spiritual resolutions in our life as we turn the page into a new year. What does loyalty to God look like? Some of you might be thinking, well, I want to just be loyal to God. And I would challenge you, as we did last week, uh, make it specific. Maybe there's a specific area that you say, you know, it's in this area that I really, really want to be loyal to God. Make it very specific in your life. Well, Ruth chapter one, let me just tell you the story if you weren't here with us, uh, or just review with you the story if you were here with us. The story of Ruth is about this couple, Elimelech and Naomi, who are living in Bethlehem, and they have two sons, Maholan and Kilian. That's how you pronounce them. And so they were in Bethlehem and a famine broke out 
and they decided that they needed to try to do something to fix this. And so rather than staying in Bethlehem and really trusting God and looking to God to be their refuge in their life, they decided to go to Moab, a country which was their enemy, a country that worshiped different gods. And that created all kinds of problems. And while they were there, sadly, Elimelech passed away. And 10 years into it, the two boys, the two sons, married Moabite women, which is probably understandable because they lived in Moab for 10 years. And so we see in in chapter one that Maholan married Ruth and Kilian married Orpah. While they were there in Moab, the two sons pass away. It's a pretty sad story actually in chapter one. And so we're left with Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, Naomi says to them, hey, why don't you stay here? I mean, Moab is your country. Um, You you know the country well. Your parents and your family's all here. Um, Why don't you stay here? Orpah takes her up on it. She stays. We don't hear from her ever again in Scripture. Ruth, however, decides that she wants to go with Naomi because Ruth had a life-changing experience where she accepted the God, the the God of of Israel, Yahweh, the one true God, uh, the God that we worship today, um, the only one true God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, um, which we see in baptisms like we did today in some of our campuses. Uh, It's just absolutely amazing. And so they went back to Bethlehem, and that's where we picked up the story. In chapter 2, I want to read the first verse for us, and then I want to tell you what's the takeaway for us in chapter 2, which helps us to maybe perhaps make a resolution spiritually in our lives. Ruth chapter two, your Bibles are open. Here's what it says. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of a clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So we're introduced there to uh, to another person in the story, and his name is Boaz. He is, in fact, a relative of her husband who passed away in Moab, but it's a distant relative because it's part of the clan. Uh, he wasn't a brother or a close cousin. It was part of the clan, meaning that he was a relative, but maybe not a close relative, and, and we could even probably deduce the fact that maybe they didn't really even know each other all that well, and it turns out we'll see that as we read on into chapter two. Here's the takeaway if you want to jot it down as we're going to study chapter two here today, and that's this. That we demonstrate, you demonstrate, I demonstrate our trust in God by seeking refuge in his guidance and in his protection. We're going to learn that in chapter 2. As a matter of fact, Boaz is going to say that to Ruth in chapter 2. Chapter 2, it's not just girl meets boy and boy is interested in girl, although that's true. There's something deeper going on here, and I want us to learn from that, because Ruth and Naomi is going to challenge us in the fact that we demonstrate our trust in God. If you trust in God, we demonstrate that by seeking refuge in God, because when you do, you find guidance and you find protection. The problem is, is that when you think about refuge, finding refuge in God, what does that actually mean? I mean, we all know that you don't trust somebody that you don't know. And so I would say to you that if you're going to put your trust in God, you need a relationship with him because you're not going to trust a God that you don't know. Am I right, church? And so I'm talking to those of you that have made that decision in your life. And if you haven't made that decision, please watch the rest of us and hopefully we'll inspire you because we want to do that. As we turn the page of a new year, I want to do that. My guess is all of us and all of our campuses online, we want to trust in God. And in doing that, we want to make sure that we seek refuge in him. But what does that mean? 
You know, you think of refuge, you might think of a commercial that you would see, like some cruises that you could take in, uh, in Europe. Ever seen these cruises where, you know, they show the ship going down the, you know, the river there, and all of a sudden you see these castles on the side, and they're beautiful castles. And I, I just love castles for some reason. I just love old buildings, and I love the architecture. And, and you look at those, and maybe that's your image of refuge. And you could just find yourself in a place where you're locked away somewhere, and, and nobody could get at you. Maybe that's your image of refuge. Or maybe it's some walled city that you would see uh, in your life. I want to give you an illustration today that hopefully cements, because this is something that I think all of us can, uh, can remember because it's so simple, actually. I want to suggest that when we talk about refuge, it's not unlike an umbrella. It's not unlike you and I getting underneath an umbrella where we would seek refuge from life, rain, snow, wind, you know, I grew up in Asia. Many of you know that. And in Asia, actually, a lot of Asians use umbrellas against the sun. And so they find refuge against the hot sun by getting under an umbrella that provides protection for them and provides an opportunity for them to, to be there and to be safe and, and even guide them, if you will, where an umbrella can guide you through rain and can guide you through snow and can guide you through all kinds of things. I want this image to be in your mind because we're going to be looking um, through the book of Ruth, chapter 2, because it's all about this one main idea that we can find refuge in God. And Ruth is actually going to teach us how to do that. Six things that we'll find and discover starting in the end of chapter one and into all of chapter two of how you and I can seek and find the refuge in God. Just keep that thought in your mind of an umbrella because we'll come back to it here and there as we go through this here today. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 10 says this, that the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. That's why my favorite psalm in the Bible, I've told you this before, is Psalm 121. Because Psalm 121 is a psalm of refuge, where you find safety and you find the guidance of God in life. So in this book, starting at verse 19 of chapter 1, so if you want to dip back into chapter 1 for just a second, because there's two things that we need to remind ourselves as the story starts to take a twist. They're back in Bethlehem now, and right there we learn something. And so we're going to try to answer the question by looking at Ruth and Naomi's life, particularly Ruth's life in chapter 2, because she's going to teach us today of how you can actually find your refuge in, in God, how seeking refuge, how does that happen? You'll see six very practical ways that hopefully coming out of that will create a question for you and for me that we can set a resolution this year as we turn a page. So let's take a look. Number one, if you want to find yourself in chapter one, verse 19, as I mentioned, Naomi and Ruth went back to Bethlehem. And the reason they did that is because they experienced so much loss in their life and they heard that back in Bethlehem, uh, things turned around. The famine was going away. God was blessing. They were growing grain. All kinds of good things were happening. And so they went back to Bethlehem. And so we learned the first principle, the first idea of how you and I can seek refuge in God. If you want, you can jot this down. Here it is. You do what is right, not what is easy. In some ways, it would have been much easier for Ruth to stay in Moab. Her family was there. Probably her parents were there. Maybe siblings, we don't know. Maybe her friends, high school friends that were there, we don't know. 
Certainly they worshiped different gods and maybe they had a different language. Maybe she had an accent. Maybe she looked different. Maybe her skin color was a little bit different than those in Bethlehem. It would have been maybe easier for her to stay there. For Naomi, it might have been easier because she had two daughter-in-laws there and maybe their families would take care of Naomi. But that's not what happened. They went back to Bethlehem. Here's why. Because they wanted to go back and re-enter into worshiping God where God was and they found themselves in Bethlehem. And we learn that if you're going to seek refuge, it happens by doing what's right, not what is easy. In fact, let me say it this way. You and I are the most vulnerable spiritually. We're the most vulnerable when you're not where God wants you. So I don't know where you are in your life, but maybe 2024, as you turn the page of a new year, you might be saying to yourself, or God might be tapping you and saying, you know, you're not where, you're not where I want you. And so seeking refuge with God, finding yourself under the umbrella of God's protection and safety and guidance might be as simple as you deciding to do what is right in your life, not what is easy, what is comfortable. I don't know what that looks like for you, but we see that in Ruth and Naomi. The second thing in chapter one we see is that there's healing that takes place. In fact, let me put it this way, that if you're going to seek refuge in God, it comes from allowing God to bring healing to bitterness in your life. Bitterness is all over chapter one. If you were with us last week, I told you that when they went back, they got back to Bethlehem and everybody knew Naomi. And so they said, is that that Naomi? I mean, she looked totally different. Something was different about her. Life had beat her up a little bit. And they were like, is that you? And she said, yeah, it's me. But don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Obviously, Naomi, because of life and situations and circumstances, she was a very bitter woman in that particular spot in her life. You're going to find in chapter two that that changes. You'll see healing in her life. You know, sometimes we go through life and people hurt us, something or someone does something to us, and anger comes into our life, we feel hurt. Bitterness, let me define bitterness for you. Bitterness is anger fermented. See, anger is not a wrong emotion, actually. You sometimes should get angry about something. It just depends on what we do with that anger. When we're hurt by somebody or hurt by something, it's often easy for us to get angry on the inside and we just sort of push it to the side or we stuff it down deep and over time it just ferments in our life and when it ferments in our life, all of a sudden it becomes bitterness. Let me give you the evidences of bitterness because when I was reading chapter one and and looking at that and studying that, I was asking myself the question, are there some areas in my life where I find myself being bitter about certain things? Turns out there's a couple of places that were pretty soft. I need to address them in 2024. Chances are there might be some for you as well. So I started doing some work. I started looking around and saying, what are the evidences of bitterness? Because it was clear that Naomi had it. And if we're going to go into a new year, turn the page, and we want to seek refuge in God, we need to allow God to bring healing to those areas of our life so that we can go into 2024 and have a new sense, a a greater ability in our hearts to know that you know what, we're going to forgive, we're going to let that go, we're going to, we're going to let God deal with that, we're, going to, we're not going to let that affect our emotions. And so here are the evidences, I'm going to put it on screen for you, 
Take a screenshot if you want, or let me just read them off to you, and you can just ask yourself the question, is that one, is that one, is that one? I don't know what it is for you, but here are the evidences of bitterness. If you're having a difficult time resolving conflicts, you might be experiencing some bitterness in your life. If you're acting in revenge towards somebody or because of something that was done, you're hurt, you're in pain, and you're acting in revenge, it could be that there's some bitterness there. If there's outbursts of anger um, on a regular basis, that's not a good sign, probably evidence of bitterness in your life. If you're subtly attacking people all the time where just under the surface there's just a little, there's like a little space where if something says something just a little bit wrong, boom, you're at it. That might be evidence of bitterness in your life. If you're condescending in your communication, if you're constantly criticizing or constantly you know, having criticism, if you're always distrusting people, you don't trust anybody now, that's probably evidence of bitterness in your life. Or if you're hypersensitive, nobody can say anything to you because you are a powder keg and all it takes is one word and boom, you're off you know, into the world somewhere, the universe It could be an evidence of bitterness. It's evident to me that Naomi had bitterness in her life, and here's why. Because in her life, bitterness crowded out her joy. We see that again in chapter one because she said, listen, don't don't even call me Naomi. I mean, I'm not pleasant at all. I mean, I am bitter. I'm angry. Uh, It's fermented in my life. Could be for 10 years. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. Um, She, who knows? I mean, it was there, it crowded out joy in her life. Secondly, bitterness creates darkness. I mean, it just, it darkens perspective. I mean, everything was dark for Naomi. It shifts in chapter two, though. Thirdly, we see in Naomi, and maybe this is one of the reasons why in chapter one we read it, where she said to the daughter-in-laws, look, well, you guys stay here. You guys stay here. Um, this is where you're from. Don't come with me. And it could be that because of bitterness, because you know what bitterness does? Bitterness robs others of love. When we're bitter, we don't have the capacity to love the people that are right in front of us. Maybe that was a reason, I don't know, I'm just surmising, but maybe that was a reason that Naomi said, you guys stay here because she had no capacity in her heart to love these, these women in her life. I don't really know. Hebrews tells us that whatever we need to do, we need to make sure that we strive for peace and that we see to it that we obtain the grace of God because if you don't obtain the grace of God, the seeds of bitterness can grow. I don't know, perhaps in... This new year as we turn the page for you to find refuge in God, it might be that we need to allow God to bring some healing and bitterness. And then we get to chapter two and we learn four more in chapter two. Let me read it for you. Here we go. Your Bibles are open. Chapter two, we read verse one that Boaz is introduced to the story. And then we get to verse two. And so Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, that's Naomi, said to her, go, my daughter. And so she did. And we learn another principle here from Ruth, and that's this, that if you want to seek refuge in God, you need to take initiative. You need to take initiative. Taking initiative is really, really important. Taking initiative right where you are. I mean, it says right there that 
Ruth had no idea what she was going to do, and Naomi didn't really have anything. They had no, no resources in their life, and so she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out to the fields, and I'm going to glean. Now, many of us don't even know what glean are. Let me explain it to you. I had to do some research as well. I thought I knew it, and it turns out I actually did, but here's what gleaning is when you read that in Ruth. All the way back to Leviticus chapter 19, the law of Moses said that when there's a widow or a single mom or somebody who is down you know, in their, in their life and they're underserved or something's going on in their life and they have a need in their life, what you need to do is if you're the owner of a field, and let's just say the field is a square, maybe a lot of times they're not, but let's just say it's a square, and if you're the owner of the field, on the outside of the field, the fringes of the field, you need to let go of the grain that's there, the sheaves that are there, let go of them and allow people to come and glean the grain from the edges, from the fringes. That was the law of Moses. That they said, as the people of God, we should take care of the widows and the single moms and those that are in need, those that are having a tough time in their life. So let's allow them to come to our fields and glean. So Ruth was there and she thought, you know what, we need, a, we need some provisions in our life. And so that's exactly what she did. She went out to the field and she starts to glean there. She starts to, at the field there, starts to pick up grain at the edges of the field. She took initiative. See, church, I, I think it's really important for us to think about this in our life because you see, if, if you're gonna move past an addiction in your life, God wants to bring healing and restoration, but we need to take initiative. There's some things that you and I need to do. If you're battling with a temptation in your life, you're gonna need to take initiative because there are triggers that come in our life that once those triggers come in, it's almost not quite, but almost impossible because you're at the edge. You know what I'm talking about? And so we need to take initiative to know what those triggers are. If you're married and you want your marriage to be better than it was in last year, you're going to need to take initiative. If you've got a situation with a coworker or a neighbor and you want to repair that or work towards it or work towards reconciliation or restoration of some kind, it's going to take initiative. It's exactly what Ruth did. She didn't sit at home and say, God, I need your help. She said, God, I need your help, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to glean. And Naomi said, go, my daughter, go. That's exactly what she did. She went, and she gleaned at the edge. Do you know, church, that thousands of years later, catch this, thousands of years later, all the way back to Leviticus 19, where God said to the people of God, make room for those that are in need in your life. Thousands of years later, we here at Fairhaven Church are still doing that. We call it the offering of compassion. Same thing. We're people in our community who are single moms or widows or people who are in need. We want to help them. As a matter of fact, in 2023, we helped people to the tune of $286,000. You, we, as a church, as we saw people who were in need, we said, you can count on us. Right, Fairhaven? You can count on us. And thousands of years later, there are people that are still gleaning from the church, from the people of God, even today. Well done, Fairhaven. Because we learned here from Ruth that one of the ways that we seek refuge is we need to take initiative. Verse three, 
So she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Those are the ones that are working in the field. And she happened to come, she happened to come, it's almost like coincidence, by coincidence, she happened to come to a part of the field that belonged to, well, Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, every morning, Boaz, as the employer would come to his Uh, reapers, his employees, and he would say, the Lord be with you. And they would respond, the Lord bless you. We don't know if they were believers or not, but we know Boaz worshiped God because every day as a Christian businessman, he showed up the fields to his employees and said, the Lord be with you. And his employees responded, Lord bless you. So there he was in the fields. Verse five, then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Let me translate. Wow. (laughs) Who is that? Boy interested in girl. Girl soon to meet boy. And so there it is. And he says, who's this woman? And verse six, and the servant who was in charge of the reaper said, well, she's that young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she had continued from early morning until now, except just for a short rest um, in her life. And we learn another very important principle. To, if you're wondering, how, how do you seek refuge in God? How do you find yourself under the, the umbrella of God's protection and his guidance. And, and let me give it to you. Here's number four that we learned from Ruth, and that's this. You need to trust that God has a plan. Again, it has to be specific. Because if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know generally, yet yeah, God has a plan. But make it personal. Maybe in a specific area of your life. See, seeking refuge means that you're gonna trust that God has a plan, and he has your name on that plan, and he has your situation in mind, and he has a perfect timeline that he's thought this through. Ruth's a widow. Her husband died in Moab, and she's about to meet this guy who loves God and who is interested in her And we're going to see in chapter three, it's unbelievable. I mean, that God has a plan specific to Ruth, specific to her situation, specific to what she needs in her life. And so it says in verse three, she happened to come. Let me ask you a question. You get to answer out loud. Do you think that this was in some way coincidence? No. Now, this was God who was working in her life because she wanted to pursue God and she wanted to find herself under the (coughs) refuge of God. Well, then we see in in verse four along, as I just read it for you, that Boaz was a man of faith. He must have been. In chapter one, verse one rather, we see that Boaz was a man of many means. He was wealthy. Um, And that's really not important, um, although that's gonna help Ruth in the process. But what's really interesting is that he's a man of faith where he comes every day and he says, the Lord bless you, the Lord be with you. And the, and the employees respond, Lord bless you. And so he, every day he exercises that. So let me pause here for a second. And if you're here and you're in high school or you're a college student 
or you're single, and the year 2024, you might be thinking, I don't know, I'm hoping that God would bring somebody in my life uh, in a relationship. That's okay, that's good. And as a church, we want to track with you and walk with you and help you. And if you're a parent, listen up carefully. Because Ruth should have cared, and she does actually, she should have cared about Boaz and what kind of a man he was. So here's the question. You want to know a person's relationship with God? If you're interested in somebody, high schoolers, college students, singles, wherever you're at, any one of our campuses, if you're interested in somebody in the opposite sect in the relationship that you might have with them, you might want to find out how far God is saturated in the details of their life. Because as you watch for how God saturates every aspect of their life, that will give you a clue as to really how serious they are in their faith. See, never join into a relationship with somebody who doesn't share your faith. Am I right, parents? Yes. And not only that, make sure that you know that as you're thinking about a relationship or perhaps even perhaps you're even thinking about marriage, never marry somebody for potential. That's a really, really bad decision to make. But you, what you can do is you can watch them every day and you can see how far God is saturated in the details of their life. Here's the principle. The principle is this, that if you want to seek refuge in God, realize that God uses people. Don't miss it. He'll use people throughout this year. In the year 2024, you're going to be surprised that God brings somebody into your life. Not necessarily for a spouse, maybe, but somebody's, God's going to bring somebody in your life who's going to be part of what he wants to do in providing for you, helping you, befriending you, encouraging you, walking away from perhaps bitterness or whatever it might be in your life, realizing that God will use people. Don't miss it. But then we go on and we see at the very end of this uh, chapter, number six, we see that Naomi is there with Ruth and we can pick up the story in verse 17. Well, actually in verse 14, Boaz, they have dinner together, call it a date, I don't know. They have dinner together and there's a line in there that most of us would just kind of read over, but it's really significant in terms of the culture back then. Verse 14, at a mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. It's a very intimate thing where Boaz says, I want to get to know you. And so take your bread and dip it in the wine here, in my wine, signifying I'm interested in you. Let's get to know each other. That's what that means there. And so she ate and she was satisfied. Verse 15, she rose and she gleaned some more and Boaz instructed all the men there, um, let her glean, don't approach her, take care of her, protect her, make sure that she stays in our field because we want to protect her and take care of her. Verse 17, so she gleaned all the way until the evening and then she goes home and she goes home and she's there with her mother-in-law and they have a conversation, a normal conversation at the end of the day and Naomi says to her, hey, so um, what happened today? And she goes, oh, 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 I met this guy. And Naomi says, well, who is it? Because Ruth at this point did not have any idea. And Naomi sa or Ruth says, it's Boaz. She says, Boaz? Boaz is a relative of ours. And so even Naomi recognizes that God is going to do amazing things here because 
he has got a plan for Ruth and a plan for Naomi in the process because she's the mother-in-law and mother-in-laws deserve to be taken care of. At the very end of chapter two, you can see it there for yourself, verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the very end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Number six, if you want to seek refuge under God, honoring family that God has given is important. When we honor family, we carry out the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. Some of you would say, well, you, you don't know my mom and dad. I would say, I might. But it doesn't matter. We've got to find a way. It doesn't say you need to love them. It says you need to honor them. You know, there may have been some horrible things that have happened in your upbringing, and I'm not suggesting that you just go back and throw yourself at it. I'm saying we've got to find a way to honor God. And in this process, we put ourselves in a position of seeking shelter and refuge under God. Here comes the question. The question is this, where do you need to take refuge in God? As you begin this new year, 2024, and we've turned the page to another year, where do you need to take refuge in God? Maybe you need to move from where you're at, not physically, but emotionally or mentally, because you're not where God wants you to be. Maybe it's because of bitterness in your life. Maybe it's because you need to take some initiative. Maybe it's because you just need to trust God's plan for you in this specific area. Maybe it's you just need to trust that God's going to bring people into your life and you're just going to watch for that. Maybe it's you just need to honor family in some way and in doing all of that, Ruth teaches us that we find refuge in God. That's good, isn't it? It's amazing. We find ourselves under the umbrella of God's protection and guidance. Would you bow with me for a second? And maybe even now, you might be prepared to make a resolution, spiritual resolution to say, God, I'm going I'm to seek refuge in you in this area of my life. That might be your resolution as we turn the page to another year. Father, we thank you for this incredible story. We thank you that there's so much that's in this story that's deep and, and really worth looking at and learning from. Father, we thank you that you love us enough that you want to provide a refuge from a world that is brutal and hurting and from all of the sin and the temptation, the addictions and the brokenness all around us. God, we want to find our refuge in you. Help us to do that. Help us, Father, as we think through the next weeks as we're just getting this year going Lord, we thank you for the resolution you make to us. And so, Father, we want to make one to you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen.